right. Well, thank you yet again, Peter, for that. Well, uh, since our announcement didn't work, I'll just, I will just announce we had a baby. Um, <laughs> um, Luke Peter Lundgren, uh, nine pounds, five ounces, 22 inches long. He's got long, skinny legs, just like all us Lundgrens have. So, um, so we're excited to have him. And, and obviously, we weren't here last week uh, because we were still in the hospital. Um, but I will be using the sermon I was going to preach last week. Um, we're, we were kind of doing an Advent-themed uh, sermon series. And a few weeks ago, I did uh, Hope. And this week, even though it's a week late, I will be speaking about peace. And I'm very excited to speak about peace. One of the reasons is is because it has been in the news recently. Um, there's an NFL quarterback by the name of Robert Griffin III. Uh, you may have heard of him as RG3. Um, he is a professing believer in Jesus Christ. Um, he's kind of he was the media darling a few years ago. Not so much now. Um, those things are kind of unrelated. He, he's he's not played as well recently. But anyway, he went into a press conference after an injury wearing this shirt that you see there. It says, no Jesus, no peace. And you can see there's kind of a double message on the shirt. Uh, K-N-O-W, uh, if you know Jesus, then you will have peace is the idea. But if you don't know Jesus, then you won't have any peace. That's what the shirt is essentially saying. And the reason this was in the news was because when he got to the podium, he had the shirt turned inside out. And so people were upset that, thinking that the NFL had forced him to do this. Really, the NFL will find anybody who has any message that doesn't say, our sponsors are great on, the, on it. So, uh, so he turned it up inside out of his own uh, volition. But anyway, that was one of the reasons why some media people were upset. But other media people were upset because of the message on the shirt. I read one guy who said he was personally insulted by RG3 shirt because it was implying that this author, this particular author, couldn't have peace without believing exactly what RG3 believes. He says, who is RG3 to say, I can't have peace? Who is he to say, or to imply at least, that his life is somehow better than mine just because I believe something different or, or, or don't believe something uh, as far as faith at all? And so he was very upset by what it said. And I can understand that, I think, a little bit. The, the shirt is just this kind of short, pithy little statement meant to, to be remembered, but it doesn't really get into the nuance of that theological position. I think he's right. I think without Jesus, we don't have, in, in, a, in a real sense, peace. But it doesn't quite communicate enough on that shirt. And so what I want to do today is I want to flesh out the statement of the shirt a little more. I want to get a little deeper into it, get into the nuance of it, so that we really understand why we can say that with Jesus we have peace and without Jesus we do not have peace. And so like last week, in order to do this, or a couple weeks ago, we're going to answer three questions. We did this with hope, and now we'll do it with peace. Uh, first of all, what is peace? This is really important to understanding what that shirt means. What is peace, especially according to the Bible? Secondly, why do we need this kind of peace? Why is it so important that we have the peace that God offers? And third, how do we get 
that peace. What is peace? Why do we need peace? How do we get peace? That's what we'll be looking at today. And we'll start with the first question, which is, what is peace? I think when most people hear the word peace today, uh, we tend to think of peaceful moments or a peaceful setting, perhaps, that we're in. In fact, I watched a video this week where some guys just kind of went down a busy city street and asked people if they had ever experienced peace in their lives. And a surprising number of people said no, that they had never uh, experienced any sense of peace at all. But then there were a lot of other people who said, well, I have been at peace in this certain moment. They could remember a certain moment. Like one person said, when I travel, on my last trip, I felt a lot of peace on that trip. Another person said that, that when she watches her children sleep at night, that just fills her with a sense of peace. Other talked about cele- others talked about celebrating Christmas, Christmas with friends and family. Some talk about the peace they get when working out or doing yoga or when mowing or mowing the lawn or when knitting. One guy even said that uh, the only peace he's felt is from illegal activities. Uh, he didn't go into what those are. <laughs> but in this case, peace is really just that thing that we enjoy and find relaxing. That tends to be the way we talk about peace today. It's, it's getting free time and enjoying what we do with it, whether that's taking a trip or tinkering in the garage or whatever it might be. But then, of course, the implication is that at some point that peace stops. The real world catches up with us and, and starts up again, and then suddenly we don't have that peace anymore until we can go to our next yoga class or until we can mow the lawn again or whatever it might be. It's just kind of constantly interrupted. The peace is constantly interrupted by the busyness and stress of life. And so in this way, I don't think the peace is complete. If you just have a moment of peace surrounded by a, a, a lake of, of uh, anxiety and stress, then it's not really a complete form of peace. It's not really uh, finished because it just kind of goes and comes and goes so quickly. Now, that's one way we use peace. We kind of use it to talk about inner peace within ourselves. But we use it another way, a very obvious one. Uh, We'll talk about peace in a relational sense or a global sense. We'll talk about the lack of peace in the Middle East. Or we'll hear about two countries or two people groups who make a peace treaty. Or two countries and people groups who break a a, uh, peace treaty. We'll hear about these things often. During the 60s, of course, there was a lot of talk of peace. It was kind of the, the one-word battle cry of a new generation of pacifists. Peace. we got to have peace. John Lennon and Yoko Ono sang about this. They said, all we are saying is give peace a chance, which I think is a great message. Um, I always kind of wonder, though, like, did someone hear that song and go, oh, jeepers, I never thought of that. I, just, I should have just given peace a chance. Then everything would have worked out. <laughs> but anyway, it's a good message because we want to promote world peace in whatever, we can, in whatever way we can. But at the same time, I think what we see is that it will always elude us. Unless we can get everyone to think and act in exactly the same way, we're always going to have conflict and quarreling both on an individual and national level. World peace will never be complete. More on this in a little bit. 
But perhaps it's because these kinds of peace are so incomplete that what we see is that in the Bible, the word for peace, especially the Hebrew word shalom, has to do with being complete. Usually shalom is, is translated peace, but it's actually literally it means completeness. It conveys this sense of contentment because someone has everything that they need. And so they don't have to be anxious and they don't have to fight with other people because they have exactly what they need. I think this kind of makes sense that completeness is a good definition of peace because when we don't have peace, it's generally because something's not complete. Something isn't right and it makes us anxious or it makes us combative. Societally, it, it leaves us just kind of chasing anything and everything that we think will bring us peace and contentment. It's incomplete. But on the other hand, if we're complete, then that means we have what we need. And, and the Bible seems to show that there are three categories in which God makes us complete. He makes us complete spiritually, individually, and relationally. Spiritually, individually, and relationally. I'm going to look at each of these three here briefly. First, we're told in Scripture that we have peace spiritually because through Christ we can be reconciled to God. The Apostle Paul, especially, he makes it very clear that we have made ourselves enemies with God due to our sin. He is the king and we have rebelled against him. And so because of that, we are his enemies. But when he sent Christ, when he sent the king to die on the cross for us, we could be forgiven. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, talks about this. It says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Later in this same chapter of Romans, it says that through Christ, we have been reconciled to God. We once were enemies, but now there is peace and even friendship with God through Christ. And I don't know about you, but this is a huge comfort. This should be a huge comfort to us. To know that we have this complete relationship with God. Because of what Christ did on the cross, it is not lacking in anything. We are completely justified. We don't have to worry that one day God is going to reject us. Or that he's going to stop forgiving us of our sins. That would be an incomplete relationship. But we have this complete relationship with him. We are not lacking anything in our relationship with God. That's the first kind of peace. We have spiritual peace. Secondly, we see in Scripture that we have internal peace, inner peace, as individuals through Christ. Even when everything is going wrong, we can continue to have this steady peace from God at work in our hearts. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace, no matter what's going on. If he keeps his mind on you, he will have peace. Also, Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I love that verse. Notice what it says rules our hearts. It is not our circumstances that rule our hearts. It is not the problems. It's not the tribulations of the world. It's not the tense relationships. It is the peace of Christ that rules 
over our hearts. Not the circumstances, it's God. That's the kind of inner peace we can have through the Lord. And the reason I think we have this peace, as Isaiah 26.3 implies, is because we know we can trust in the Lord. That all of the things He has promised us will come to pass. When He says that He will take away death, we know He'll do it. When He says He'll give us eternal rewards in heaven, we know He'll do it. When he says that the suffering we're going through now is not even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us, we can know he will do it, and that gives us peace. It hasn't happened yet, but we have peace now. And the thing about this kind of peace is that it will rule your heart more and more as you grow in your faith and relationship with God. If you struggle with anxiety, if you're a new believer, or even if you're an older believer who, who uh, struggles with anxiety, if you're worried, well, maybe this means there's something wrong with me. No, this is a process. Growing in inner peace because we trust in the Lord is a process that goes on throughout our lives. It's not like our, our peace with God. That's instantaneous. Once we put our faith in Him, boom, we have peace with Him, it's done. But this kind of inner peace, it, it takes time. It takes growth in the Lord as we learn more and more to just keep our minds focused on Him in the midst of trials and circumstances that are outside of our control. It takes a lot of time to to say, I'm anxious, I need to go to the Lord in prayer rather than worrying about this over and over and over again. And so this one is a, a lifelong process. The first happens instantaneous instantaneously. This is a lifelong process. Inner peace is a lifelong process. But the third kind of peace will not really fully happen on this earth. And that's the societal, relational, world peace. We will never have that on this earth. It's something we should always work for, but we'll never create it. As, you, as a human race, we have not made really any progress toward peace. In fact, it's estimated that more people died in wars in the, in the 20th century than in all of the other centuries combined. We are not making progress toward peace. But even though we can't make peace, what we can know is that God will. He will make the kind of peace that we are hungering for. When God inaugurates what the book of Revelation calls the new heavens and the new earth, at that time we will then see the kind of peace we long for. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 8, describes the kind of peace that we will have one day. It says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. This is the kind of peace we are waiting for. No competing, no fighting, no death. Little children will play around the the homes of predators because there will be no more problems. That's what we are waiting for, and that gives us peace. This is eternity, where there's no death, where there's no fighting. That's going to last forever. What we're going through now is just a drop in the bucket. 
It's just this temporary time that will be one day fixed. But even still, even though we're looking forward, in the meantime, we are to keep peace with the people around us as best we can. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. On the one hand here, we see that we won't have complete peace in this life. If possible, live at peace with everyone. But you know what? It's probably not possible. But at the same time, as much as it depends on us, which is quite a bit, we are to try to live peaceably with everyone. This means not being bitter and not holding grudges. This means not taking pot shots towards people of other religions or of other political opinions. This means putting up with inconveniences and even insults from others. As much as it depends on us, we are to make peace with the people around us. And then if we are peacemakers and people still don't like us, so be it. But what Paul says is don't let it be because of you, because of some sin in your heart that they don't like you. Let it be because of Christ. Peter also talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. He says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, don't be the cause of your own suffering by meddling, by stirring up trouble with other people. Don't let your evil actions cause conflicts between yourself and others. But yet at the same time, don't expect peace either. You will be insulted. You may even suffer for the name of Christ. And so we have to wait for the time when everything will be put right. And in the meantime, while we're suffering, while we're being insulted, we look forward to the complete peace that God is providing us and that gives us peace in the moment now. And so in light of these passages we just saw and these categories of peace, we still have to answer the question, what is peace? And for me, I think it is simply this. Peace is the knowledge that God has and will set everything right. Peace is resting in the knowledge that everything will be complete. And so peace is not so much the absence of trouble. And it's not inner tranquility despite our problems. It's not pretending everything is okay when really it's not, or escaping from our problems into illegal activities or some other activity. That's not really what peace is. You can have peace when everything's going wrong, and you can lack peace when everything's going right. The key is resting and trusting in the Lord. That He will bring everything to completion. And that can give us complete peace now. So that's what peace is. It's resting in the knowledge that everything will be complete. And that leads us to the next question. Why do we need it? And really, it's a pretty simple answer, so we won't belabor the point too much. I think it's true that it's, life simply stinks without peace. It's not really a theologically constructed sentence there. Um, but many of you know this from experience. 
You've lived through a season of life, or maybe you're living through a season of life right now where you're struggling to find peace, and it stinks. If you don't have peace, then really, what do you have? You're just left with anxiety and war and uncertainty. And what reasonable person wants that for themselves? I know I just had a, a, an evening or a night of anxiety, of a complete lack of peace, when Luke was <laughs> being born. Uh, it's funny. I, it's, it's strange. I didn't tell this to Laura at the time, of course. But as you're sitting there in the hospital waiting for this baby to be born, waiting for new life to come into the earth or into the world, I think about death way more than I, than, than I ever usually do. Worried about Laura, worried about the baby. I'm filled with anxiety because I can't do anything, really. I'm just sitting there watching. And in that moment, I needed peace. Not just a moment of peace. I, didn't, I couldn't go travel somewhere to find peace. I couldn't go to a beach. Hey, Laura, you know what? I'm a little anxious. <laughs> you sit tight. I'm going to take off. I couldn't do that. And I wasn't going to just sit there and, and do yoga or something like that. I needed a true and lasting peace. And I only got it when I reminded myself to focus on God and to trust Him, that He has a plan and it's a perfect plan, better than anything I could do. And when I did that, when I prayed to Him, when I remembered Him and kept my mind focused on Him, then I was able to have peace in the middle of an anxiety-producing situation. I think this is the kind of peace that everybody wants. In fact, author and philosopher Ravi Zacharias, he talks about how we need peace. He does this by telling a story of when he met with a leader of, of the terrorist organization Hamas, one of the founders of Hamas. Listen to what he says. It's a little bit of a lengthy illustration. He says, I was talking to one of the founders of Hamas, Sheikh Talal. I was part of a group of people who had gone to the Middle East to try and bring the people together to a peace table. Sheikh Talal gave us a great meal, told us of 18 years he'd served in prison, and how some of his children had been lost in suicide bombings. When my turn came to ask a question, I said, Sheik, forgive me if I'm asking you the wrong question. Please tell me, what do you think of suicide bombing and sending your children out like that? He had lost children sending his own children out to die. After he finished his answer, I said, Sheik, you and I may never see each other again, so I want you to hear me. A little distance from here is a mountain upon which Abraham went 5,000 years ago to offer his son as a sacrifice. And as the axe was about to fall, God said, stop. Ravi said, do you know what God said after that? The sheik shook his head. Ravi said, God said, I myself will provide. He nodded his head. I said, very close to where you and I are sitting, sheik, is a hill. 2,000 years ago, God kept that promise and brought his own son, and the axe did not stop this time. He sacrificed his own son. He just stared at me. The sheik stared at Ravi. The room was full of smoke with all of his security people. I said, I may never see you again, sheik, but I want to leave this with you. Until you and I receive the son that God has provided, we will be offering our own sons and daughters on the battlefields of this world for land and power and pride. Now that's powerful, but I want to focus in on this next part. Ravi says, 
I could just see the man's lips beginning to quiver. He was sitting right next to me. Nobody said anything after that. As we were walking out, Sheik Talal went quickly and shook hands with everyone. And then he came over to me and grabbed me by the shoulders, kissed me on both sides of the face, patted my face, and he said, You're a good man. I hope I see you again someday. Now, there's many amazing things about this story. But in that last paragraph, what we see is that even a hardened terrorist who sent his own children to do suicide bombings, even he can be moved to silence and tears by the idea of a lasting peace. And we can all feel the need for peace. Even he understood there's something that's missing. This world is not quite right. There's, there's something that is incomplete that keeps us from, true, from the true and lasting peace that we need. He knew it, and so his lips were quivering as he heard the promise of peace. And as Ravi Zacharias pointed out, that something that is missing, that something that leaves us feeling incomplete, is Jesus Christ. That's the answer to our third question. How do we get peace? It's through Christ. As a people group, we've tried lots of things to get peace. As you'll see in your bulletin, if you go to the pastor's desk, um, if you can read that tiny font, uh, philosophers for centuries have been trying to create systems that will bring about peace. But the problem is, is that you can't create perfect peace with a bunch of imperfect people. And so we needed God to send a perfect Savior for us to bring us the peace that we so desire. We might get glimpses of peace. There may be circumstances that give us peace, like the beauty of nature or, or time with family, but even these glimpses are a gift from God, and we cannot find complete, total, unassailable peace apart from Him. Jesus Himself says as much in John sixteen thirty three. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Notice Jesus says that the key to, the key to peace is not more of the world. The world gives tribulation. And so you won't have peace just by having more land. Or more money or more comfort or more traveling. It's not about having more sex or more technology or more years on this earth. It's not even having more children, as I know. These things can give you glimpses of peace. But they do not give you the peace we long for. If there's one guarantee in this world, it's that you will have tribulations. You will have struggles. You will have disappointments. You will have pain. And it seems to me that there's only two responses we can have to this constant tribulation of the world. I mentioned uh, John Lennon earlier. Alistair, a preacher by the name of Alistair Begg says that when it comes to peace, we can go with two philosophies from John Lennon and Paul McCartney. We can either say, we can work it out, or we could say, help, I need somebody. <laughs> we can work it out, or help, I 
I need somebody. And I know there are people in this room who have been trying to work it out. Every day is a battle to find that moment of peace where you can just kind of escape from the troubles of this life. You can escape the disappointing news or you can maybe work through it. And maybe some of you have been trying to work it out for so long that you're finally admitting, you know what, I need somebody. And not just anybody. But I need the help of someone who can give me lasting peace that doesn't change with my circumstances. I need peace even even when I have the tribulations of this world. I need someone who has overcome the world and all of its tribulations. And Jesus is saying, I am that person. Specifically, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he overcame the world and its chief problem, which is sin. Or is death, I'm sorry. When he was resurrected, he defeated death. And he promised that if we put our faith in him, we will have peace because we will not see death. Not in any lasting sense. The peace that we have searched for is found in him. He is, as Isaiah 9 tells us, the Prince of Peace. He gives us peace. It's right there in his job description. It's what he does. And the peace he can give us is complete. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7 says, The Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming soon. And so, I'm adding, and so, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice it says to present your requests to God. And it doesn't necessarily say, He'll give you everything you want. He'll take away the tribulations of the world. He'll make life better than the lives of everybody else. No, that's not what he says. He says if you present your request to God, the result is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of peace I hope you find if you haven't found it already or if you've forgotten about it. A peace that cannot be changed by circumstances in a completeness that is beyond your comprehension. That is what we need. And in fact, that is what, in many ways, we have received through Christ when he died on the cross. Really, the victory for our peace was won on that day when he died. Yes, we're still waiting for it. Yes, we still have tribulations as we wait. But really, the work was completed on that cross and in his resurrection. And today what we remember is that Jesus, in order to provide us with peace, he gave his body and he shed his blood for us. For your spiritual, inner, and relational peace. And that's what we remember today. If we could have the worship team start to head up. We're going to be taking communion and if the ushers could come up as well, or whoever will be passing the the elements. What we're going to do is we're going to first pass the bread and
If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, we invite you to take communion with us. If you're not sure what you think about Christ yet, if you haven't put your faith in him, then we would ask you to just let this go by. That's a, a, something you could do as to respect us, really, is to let this go by if you don't know in Christ yet. But if you do know Christ, we want to invite you to join us in remembering what he did to bring us peace. To remember the death he died, how the king died for those who were rebelling against him. So with this, we will pass the bread, and what we'll do is take a piece, hold it in your hand, and then we'll all take it together in a moment.